Hello, hello, welcome to Sustainable 245. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable 245. We are back. We were not here and now we are. I have been in a field, all of me. Oh. Um, all of me. Um, and now I am back. I am full of vigour and I am zen and I'm not going to put up with your shit. So, Oi. we... We are Sustainababble. We are your friendly little weekly podcast when we're around, all about people and the planet and why, despite the man saying that you're not allowed to do things, sometimes you can still do things every now and then. Yes, Ol? Yes. And what are we going to do this week? We are going to be crossing boundaries, Dave, metaphorical Mm. and indeed physical, because we're going to be talking about trespass. Trespass. Trespass? Trespass. Trespass. A funny word, isn't it? Trespass. 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 That sounds French. Trespass. Trespassing. 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 The act of going somewhere that you're not allowed to go, or even it's a bit more complicated than that. We'll get into it all. But we're going to be specifically talking to somebody who knows a lot about this, who is... The author and illustrator, Nick Hayes, who has written a fabulous book that I'm sure many Babel listeners will have heard of or indeed read, The Book of Trespass, which was uh, a couple of years ago now, and has got a new book out called The Trespasser's Companion. And we talked to Nick, well, about all sorts of things. I mean, Nick is a man with a brain and a brain that has been doing useful things with its large capacity because uh, he talks about the history of all this the legality of all of this the, the human psychology of all of this and it is fascinating and if like me and Dave you get like really into this you'll probably find that you're quite enraged and motivated uh, to stop being such kind of wet pathetic sign obeying oiks and start doing something a bit more transgressive so we talked to Nick all about that land who owns it trespass should you trespass is it england that's particularly bad and we talked about an anniversary that's coming up a very important anniversary of a mass trespass that happened in england 90 years ago without which we wouldn't have half of this space what we have got what we're allowed to go into so we talked about all of them things oh just the usual disclaimer before we get going we do work for environment charities dave and i Uh, so these are very much our own views and of course Nick's own views. Uh, so if you've got any beef with things what we say, take them up with us, not with the people for whom we work. Okay? Yes, and we are a listener-funded podcast. Thank you so much to our loyal Patreon followers and funders. We need some more for the price of a cup of tea. If you've often thought, oh, I love what Dave and I'll do. If I ever saw them in a pub once a month, I'd buy them a pint. <laughs> well, now you can, morally and kind of almost actually, by going to www.patreon.com slash sustainababble. No babble without the love of strangers. But then you're not a stranger. You're in the club and we love you. Yes? Yes, right, let's get on to the interview. And we began by asking Nick, uh, well, if he'd ever had a gun in his face, basically. Right, Nick, you are a naughty person who does naughty things on upstanding members of the community's uh, land and property and stuff, which begs the question, have any of those upstanding members of the community ever, you know, shot you or tried to shoot you or set their big dogs on you or called the cops on you or, like, reported you to her madge or something? Any of that? Uh, Well, I don't want to be tricksy right from the off, but uh, I actually do um, what I consider to be good things 
uh, on what's sometimes oh, okay. made to be considered rather villainous members of society. Well, I've never... Potato, potato. <laughs> exactly. Um, I've never had a gun uh, pointed at me. I've, uh, I mean, the implication has been there. People have uh, come up to me with their gun. Uh, there might have been a slight inclination of the eyebrow towards the gun at certain... In <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can't make out to be Jason Bourne. We're talking here about, you know, trespass, being on places you shouldn't be. And the moment we got thinking about it, both of us, I think, felt the same way about this, is we like doing what we're told. Or, or at I least think, yeah. we, f we feel very much inclined to do what we're told. So when there is a sign saying, keep off this land or something, that I absolutely go, all right, yeah, no, that's that's somebody telling me to do a thing I should do. So I, so I stay off. The land, um, despite it, despite thinking, despite fully agreeing that it's like, why shouldn't I be on that bit of land? But still, right? There's but still there in the moment. In there in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. All of my instinct is, don't go on that land because there's a big scary sign or whatever. Even if it's a person. So like, that's very ingrained, isn't it? We can't be the only people who feel like that. And if that's true, how do we change it? Of course, it's um. <clears throat> It's a spike of cortisol in your blood uh, that is causing that. Like, uh, it, I mean, one of the things about the first book was just a kind of just fascination and the need to investigate where that actually comes from. You know, I'm sat on my ass drawing a fallen oak tree on a summer's day uh, in between, you know, the sort of wild grass and, uh, you know, the birds twittering in the air. Uh, and a red-faced, usually man, uh, approaches me with a gun in his hand uh, and starts to scream at me. And yet I'm supposed to be the one that somehow lost it uh, and is antisocial <laughs> and anti-societal. Uh, but it was fascinating to me that the law itself describes what I'm doing, sat on my bum, drawing uh, something that's beautiful, you know, in my sketchbook. I'm a professional illustrator, so that's sort of kind of what got me to being a professional illustrator, just drawing knots. And the ability of someone to see what I'm doing, which is so last of the summer wine, quintessential, quaint English, but the ability for them to kind of re-see that as an act of aggression, as the law would have it, against the personhood of the owner, was so out of the norm. Also, like, I want, like, what was the glasses that they were looking at this act? What is the prism that they're looking at it through? What's it made of? Who put it there? Uh, why are they able to redefine this thing in, uh, in in such a kind of with such incongruous aggression? Where's it all come from? Um, like, why do you think? Come on, let's make this more of a sort of chatty thing. Why, why do you think you feel bad uh, when a sign which has been there ten years and it's not directly talking to you, it's just a sign, uh, and it says private no entry? What about that makes you think like feel bad? I got an even like an even closer to home example before I answer that. I was somewhere the other day and I walked across a bit of grass. And when I'd finished walking across that bit of grass, it had a sign on it, I noticed, saying keep off the grass. And I felt like I had done something really bad and I was going to be hauled up by my knackers. Um, and I think it's because like our entire lives, well, my entire life, forever, forever, there's been private property. It's a thing. There has mm -hmm. been things that are fenced off and where you cannot go. And I, I've never lived anywhere. Well, I did live in Scotland for four years. We can come to that. But I've never lived anywhere where you could just kind of go, 
where you want. Quite the opposite, right? Mm. I just think it's in, a, in the same way as you don't go around punching people in the face because you just don't. You don't go around hopping over people's barbed wire fences because you mm. just don't. Is it more complicated than that? No, uh, not really. That's what they make us. Uh, they make us believe that that the the two acts are analogous. You know that um, hmm, uh, yeah. trespass is an act of violence against the person that owns it, owns the place. Um, <clears throat> and that's essentially when you dig into it. That's essentially, you know, pretty much the Georgian era that kind of reconstructed that um, and created what what today law- lawyers still call a legal fiction. Uh, that the crossing of the fence is is the harm, regardless of whether you actually cause any harm. So they've invented a harm, and they've pummeled it into our uh, minds so strongly um, that, as you say, we get born into that situation, so we don't have another example. Oh, yeah, lawyer, yes, sir. Now, don't you think that might be a bit of a waste of money, sir? But the harm is not the crossing of the fence, it's the fence itself. There, you know, no, uh, no river was created um, in human prehistory with a razor blade barbed wire fence, uh, six foot erected around it. Um, you know, it's it's an absolute, it's farcical to suggest that humans never uh, used rivers for transport uh, or for, uh, you know, to transport themselves or for goods, because that's literally how the whole of human civilization, uh, you know, sort of moves from being nomads to uh, being sedentary. Uh, was by co- congregating by a water source, but also by a place where you could bring in uh, goods for trade. Um, and yet the anglers are uh, expecting us to believe uh, that if we can't prove that humans uh, have had a right longer than 20 years on any specific stretch of river, that we should be banned uh, from even wild swimming uh, in those rivers simply because the law of private property pretends that we're damaging it by doing so. That's the thing which blew my mind when I was reading your book and sort of got thinking about it. It was this idea that like, if the person who on paper owns the property is standing in place X, they are not causing any damage, causing any harm, both in a kind of literal sense and a legal sense. But if you or I are standing in place X, doing exactly the same thing, be that nothing or just walking along the path. We are, in the eyes of the law, causing harm. And it's like, but but we're not. <laughs> like, and I don't I don't understand well, how did it get to the point where the law decides that just you being there is harmful rather than you doing a thing when you're there might be harmful. Because I could, you know, I can get the idea that like if you go onto some land with the intention of doing something bad with damaging it or or whatever, that that's a different thing. But how did how did the law get to the point where just you are just because you are there means you are causing damage, even if you are literally not causing damage? Well, go on, uh, spot quiz, Dave. What what's uh, what do people mean when they talk about the unreformed parliament? How could your uh, my oh uh, I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> so I was going to come to that anyway. Is this all got to do with? Is this all got to do with King Harold not putting up a better fight? Is it all got to do with that? Or well, like, cause I'm yeah. thinking back because I was thinking in back to guys. the weekend. Was right, there we yeah. are <laughs> causing nice, trouble. One in, the, one in the eye for you, old. Hey. Um, and yeah, it, it's all got to do goes all the way back to that, doesn't it? To like William the Conqueror and kind of divvying up land that, and giving it to his rich mates and in order to buy them. 
basically, wasn't it? And from there, we've kind of got everything that follows, or not. Yeah, you've successfully dodged the question because now I have to go into William the Conqueror like 800 years before, but I'll get back. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, there were the uh, this concept, this ideology, this kind of power share that was called the Commons uh, before William the Conqueror. Uh, and it was basically how communities interact uh, with resources, whether it's uh, fish in the river or, uh, you know, wood in the forest or um you, you know that you needed for your winter fuel or where to graze your cattle and that kind of thing uh all of a sudden william the conqueror came in and just uh was basically like a mob boss with uh kind of weak and, and tenuous tied affiliations with a load of other barons that he basically bribed you know said come and help me be the manpower um and as soon as they got into England, he divvied up bits of England and created what he was called what what were called forests, which at that time had nothing to do with trees. It was derived from the Latin, which was like the sort of courtly language, the legislative language that they used. Um, from it, forests, which is the Latin word for outside of, and it, it specifically designated oh. these vast swathes, about a fifth of England, uh, as outside of common law. So if you were happened to be inside the fence living in your village when that happened, um, all of a sudden uh, you were literally evicted. If you weren't inside the fence but you relied, uh, you know, you kept your bees on common pasture, uh, you collected your winter fuel, uh, you know, you marling is another right of common. You basically dug up clay that you could build anything from houses to pots, you know, earthenware with. Um, all of a sudden you weren't allowed to do that. But the crucial answer to the you know specific question that you're talking about came around in the Georgian era. Why, why was the law created that means person A that owns the place is just sat on his bum drawing an oak tree, uh, and person B comes and sits 20 yards away from him and draws the same oak tree? Why is person B designated as causing harm uh, to, to both the place and the personhood of person A? Uh, and that's... Go on, go on. It's because he's annoyed. It's because he's annoyed. Yeah, well, class has got a lot to do with it, but it's because of the unreformed parliament. It's because the oh. people in the Georgian era that were making these rules were only allowed to be politicians if they could prove that they owned uh, several hundred acres of land. Oh. So it's a stitch up, uh, and it's it's not a conspiracy to say so. It's just literally a stitch up, and. So if you take the law at face value and you don't actually look at the context uh, that created the law, um, then A, you've got a much simpler picture of life, uh, but B, you, you, you're just going to accept someone else's lie uh, that their fence has more legitimacy than your right to be in nature and connect with it. <laughs> So for you then, is it what's it all about? Why do you walk along and you see a fence and you go, I'm going over that? Is it because you want to smash capitalism? Is it because you want to morally, if not actually, defecate upon the man's lawn? Or is it just to hug trees and that? Because you can get trees outside the fence. You don't need to go into a fence to, to hug trees. 
Yeah, but inside the fence, they've got arboretums, haven't they? They've got specimen choice trees. I was going to say, there's much better trees inside the fence, Dave. (laughs) There are. Like hugging Venus flytraps. That's not a good idea. (laughs) Or hawthorn. You know, you don't want to go up to a hawthorn and you want to go up to a nice, fat, 500 year old English oak. Where the hell are you going to find that? Absolutely guaranteed a hell of them more on the inside of the Duke's uh, deer park. Uh, because they were the ones that avoided the cull when Elizabeth I came around, uh, you know, cutting down trees for uh, to defend from the Armada. Like, uh, th- these were, you know, these old boys' clubs uh, were able to protect what uh, what they owned and just go and carve out some other, you know, oik commoners kind of thing. But it's, it's the law that pretends I've got a problem with the Duke of Buccleuch. I mean, I do... Uh, you know, read the evidence and, and, and see that the Duke of Buccleuch is cutting down, for example, 10 acres uh, of his 280,000 acre estate, uh, this this particular area in Kettering in Northamptonshire. Uh, and I do see that, uh, you know, that's the wanton destruction, you know, ecocide will one day be considered an actual legislative crime. Um, and he's doing that so that he can build five warehouses and uh, just turn the ground for a bit of profit. But um, the law pretends that I'm going trespassing. I'm swimming in the Duke of Wellington's river uh, because I've got a real bone to pick with the Duke of Wellington. I don't know the man. Like, uh, you know, he he could be as cheery as Santa, Santa Claus, uh, and I'd still have a problem with him uh, denying me from the river. Oh, Helen Buckshot, here's that tiresome servant of yours again. Oh, budge up, budge up. <clears throat> uh, you've given me only three options, so obviously yeah. I've got to do. I mean, you know, life's more nuanced. <laughs> but um, no, not, not on the yeah, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's got to be a hugger tree, uh, and actually, you know, tree hugger itself comes from uh, the Chipko uh, community in uh, India, isn't it? Like a, a, a protest in the eighteen hundreds, people that were. Um, uh, refusing the exploitation of their forests uh, because they knew that they relied on them in a reciprocal and sustainable way. And so, again, do I want to smash capitalism? I would rather sit around in the long grass uh, and do nothing, but I'm not allowed to do that. The benefit is by um, by claiming your right to access nature, you will also be improving uh, the public's right to defend it against the exploitation, mm-hmm. against the industrialization of agriculture, that the wholesale take, take, take of nature uh, that was not the spirit or the law of the commons. You know, people people forget when they, when they took away our right to access nature, they also took away our right to protect it. And so we look at kind of, uh, you know, animal rights activists that go out and stop badger baiting, or we look at people that dig holes under Euston, station because they don't they they just absolutely don't want our wildwoods to be uh further decimated you know from the two percent of england that they are now in the old days we would see it as our our almost our human kinship duty uh to nature to make sure uh that we protected it because we knew as a as, as, as a sort of deep visceral uh understanding that if you if you exploit all of the wood uh, then uh, your grandchildren aren't going to have any, the trees won't have grown by then, so your grandchildren will starve of cold in the winter. You look after nature because nature looks after you.
Is this an English problem? Because I think yeah. a lot, like a lot of the sort of of the psychology about all of this is surely related to the reason why we keep electing absolute arseholes to rule over us. Apparently, quite happily, like we like know, them, don't we? We like we, the arseholes. We collectively, I mean, I personally don't hold myself responsible for... Well, not yet. Uh, give St Albans a couple of years to work its magic on you, old bean. <laughs> That's true. I'm starting to see some things in a very different light <laughs> now that I'm in Lib Dem Central. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, we are... we For some reason, the English seem very comfortable being ruled over by the ruling class, by, you know, there's that thing about the cabinet. You've got, like, Etonian Prime Minister, the richest MP in all of Westminster cutting our in charge of uh cutting our benefits and raising our taxes all the rest of it and we seem we're quite comfortable with that and is that a similar thing that's going on here that that a we as english are kind of unbothered by aristocracy lording it over us and having land that we can't have um and b is the situation in england a lot worse than in other bits of the uk yeah, I, I mean, to your to your first question, it, it it wasn't necessarily invented in England, but England was the one that exported it uh, globally. You know, uh, and another thing that we we just can't quite get our heads around that the exactly the same process, like from the fiscal to the pragmatic, the exact same process that we used uh, during colonization, uh, going up to indigenous farmers and local people. Uh, and how we kind of uh, charged them a rent instead of a tithe, which kind of broke them and left them on wage labor and, and, and in debt kind of thing. That was literally what uh, the aristocracy did to our lands. It's as if they practiced coloni- uh, colonialism on uh, England before they exported it. And that was really, you know, like um, First Nations in uh, uh, Southern Canada and Northern America. Uh, a completely different concept of property uh, and, and what it was for and and the kind of definition, the specific definition of property. But when it met the Western, the English definition of private property, which is total exclusionary dominion, you know, you even have Yusabu Tendai, uh, you even have the right, if, if you put a fence up around a tree, you have the right to cut it down uh, and kill it. Uh, you have the right to destroy what you own. And that's where uh, slavery, you know, when uh, humans were uh, regarded as chattel, um, that was a legal definition so that they, uh, you know, they had the right to uh, to murder these kidnapped West Africans uh, if they weren't playing ball. Um, so, yeah, it, it, England exported it, but perfected it on, uh, on the English. And um, I think it's a kind of Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. the, the English deference to uh, their betters. James O'Brien, uh, you know, goes on about it on his morning show all the time, that need to sort of, uh, you know, tug your forelock and, and, and dock, doff your cap. Uh, that sense that any old piffle can come out of a mouth, and as long as that accent sounds like it went to Eton, uh, we'll kind of rate it. Um uh, more highly or be more inclined to, you know, to, to, to do what it says than a kind of uh, estuarial, you know, Berkshire, Kent accent kind of thing. Uh, and that's the whole, it's the whole thing. In England, peasant and common are, uh, are pejorative terms, but common yeah. was literally what uh, they destroyed, you know, was literally us sharing the resources. Uh, and peasant, if you go to France or Spain, 
peasantry is this kind of, uh, it just basically means indigenous, like someone that is connected with the land, knows its seasonal fluctuations, understands it because they are situated within it. Uh, but we've managed to uh, warp those words and turn them, you know, much like pagan uh, or turn them into insults, which basically the real insult of that is is just how deeply we swallow that. I, of course, apologise for any offence that I may have given to the House. But when Britain first at Heaven's Command arose from the Azure Main, um, this was the anthem of the land and guardian angels sang this strain. Rule Britannia, Britannia rule the waves and Britain's never, um, never, never... But people be can't be, you know, people have forgotten uh, what we've lost. We, you know, it's a case of shifting baselines. We, we, as you said right at the start, we get born into a world where we don't have. So, you know, the land lobby will always say we've got 144,000... Uh, miles of footpath in England and Wales, um, which I did the maths. If uh, it's basically zero point three percent of the land mass, like people, people... and and you'll be grateful. Is <laughs> basically yeah. what goes with that, isn't it? It's like, but but the crazy thing is, it's never the Duke of Westminster uh, calling me me and Guy Shrubsole all of you know uh, the, the unseemly names under the sun. It's never them. It's never the Duke or the Lords, the silk stocking. Uh, brigade it's uh it's it's pretty much like uh people on the same kind of income or you know uh social security kind of thing uh as me or guy it's people defending uh the power that uh has oppressed them um i think you've got to know more about human psychology than me to really get to the meat of why that is i'll tell you a thing i do know about humans yeah <laughs> is if i was the duke of what's his name duke of buck luke We'll call that's him uh, Dookie Bakluki. Is, is, is the name? <laughs> that's my name from now on. I wish to be yeah. called Dookie Bakluki. If I was I endorse him, that, and I had I had a nice lawn with a tr with an oak on it. I'm not sure I would want oaks coming onto it, covering it in pizza wrappers and cans. And like, there is a problem in there. If you like let loads of people just go where they want, they'll make a mess of it. Because make a mess of everything else. Discuss. <laughs> or defend. Or defend. Uh, right, number one, what we're calling for, a right to roam, just like Norway, Finland, Iceland, Bavaria, Austria, some parts, uh, Germany, uh, Scotland. Uh, it's it's not a free, it's not a golden ticket for, uh, you know, wanton stomping of uh, ground nesting birds. It's actually a very detailed and much more specific and comprehensive than the English countryside code. It's a code of connection to nature. So if you go and uh, to Finland, and they even say it on their website, like be like a Finn and don't drop litter, like that they have mm. created a culture where the dropping of litter is abhorrent. Uh, and litter is, of course, it's used, um, uh, you know, since lockdown, uh, and again, people would rather see that without the context. Here's a here's a perfect example of that. Like uh, they've got, uh, you know, the the Guardian will put a picture on the front page of uh, a bin during lockdown, a park bin, and it's completely overspilling and it's covered in litter. And the headline says, you know, we're all vandals and like we've all left litter. They just foul it up. And I tell you what, I hope nature takes its revenge on you, every single one of you, that leaves shit on the floor and in parks. 
And what you've done to Heaton Park is disgusting. And I hope the planet turns round and shits on you. Or doesn't that picture illustrate how the council haven't provided enough bins? Like, everyone's brought their litter to where the bin is. They've tried. They've tried to put it in the right place. Yeah. But that's, but again, we see it differently. Mm. Why can't we, Mm. what cataract is this over our eyes that we can't see it? Let's not even go into the fact that the problem with litter is not littering, but single-use plastic. Well, oh, well. I mean, yeah. I, I we've, was, done a, we've done an episode. We have done an episode. Yeah, I was well, kind of expecting. I, mean, I was kind of expecting your book to be a bit like that, actually. To 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 be saying, hang on a minute, you know, companies are deliberately making all this stuff. It's free advertising. It's disposable. They'd rather not pay for its collection. Blah blah blah. All of that stuff. If Coke, if Coke was made, it was sold to us in hemp. There wouldn't be a problem, <laughs> would there? Would there? <laughs> exactly. Well, there's a hemp and, farm where I'm moored at the moment, and they would yeah. quite agree. <laughs> And Dave likes nothing more than when I start talking about deposit return schemes as well. So oh, hang, on, yeah. hang on, hang on, I'll play the uh, deposit return scheme music. Very good. That's it. So if if time, we'll have 20 <laughs> minutes on that at the end of this interview. But, but your book doesn't say that. What your book actually says is, no, if you are going to... Well, in fact, not even if you're going to trespass, just anywhere. Like, you know, you, you have a responsibility when you're in the land to take some responsibility for your actions. So it isn't a kind of litter isn't our fault it's oh hang on don't be a knob is is essentially what you're also saying in your book isn't it to follow the the kind of creed of uh, this group called trash free trails who are an offshoot of surface against sewage who just both of these organizations are incredible because they're doing something about it the act of pit- picking up litter of course will solve the eyesore of it it will stop there was a sheep just on the farm i'm at at the moment that swallowed a bit of plastic Alan was literally the sheep's name, but um, he choked to death and uh, the farmer had to um, just shoot him in the back of the head. Uh, And she'd actually raised him uh, two years ago. Uh, She birthed him. She was like the little sheep doula. Uh, You know, and there's this whole kind of thing that like, oh, the trespasser is supposed to be against the farmer. Not on your Nelly. Like I think farmers are the most incredible, uh, connected, wise kind of, even like priests of the land, like shamans, of like they know the local area. Um, and yet oh, the whole sort of standard tabloid vibe is that uh, I'm a trespasser, so I'm against them. I think people need to realise how important farmers are. But the point, sorry, just get right back to the uh, trash free trails. The point is that the process of caring for your environment deeper embeds you uh, into uh, caring for it in a more kind of philosophical or kind of pragmatic way. At the moment, it's kind of in fad to kind of exoticize other indigenous cultures because there's so much wisdom to be gained uh, from cultures that have a live connection to uh, their forebears who were deeply connected to the land. And w- finally, in England, we're waking up to uh, the possibility that braiding sweetgrass has got more uh, wisdom in it than anything Savile's property management have ever written kind of thing. Of you course. Read I, I'm literally just reading that at the moment. It's the most extraordinary book. Have you read it? Or? No. no. Oh, you must. We, must. we must try and get Robin on. It is amazing, isn't it? It's like the, you know, the mother tree and the overstory and Jerusalem, I would say. like There, there are some texts uh, or, or plays or works of art that I think are literally changing the course of human history, I think. You know, as an illustrator, I was always quite um, 
I just thought art was the decorative icing once you'd baked the cake. But, um, mm. you know, I'm starting to see it, uh, you know, more like the eggs now kind of thing. Um, or, you know, whisked flaxseed <laughs> for the vegan. I was going to say, you could, yeah, you could leave it out very much like the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> All we right. Could, could. <laughs> Hello, I'm Chris Packham, and you're listening to Sustainababble. Now, you are on a boat and you're all, you know, connected and stuff. Dave, well, he's kind of connected, but, you know, he's in Crystal Palace. It's kind of cool. I used to be in a cool part of London before I, you know, sold out. Uh, But the point is, uh, isn't this a kind of... uh, isn't giving a shit about trespass and where you can walk and where you can't kind of the preserve of people like us? And I suppose particularly townies. What about the people in, and I don't just mean like the Aristos, you know, the people lording up, but the people often earning absolutely bugger all in the countryside mm. uh, for whom the sort of concerns of the metropolitan elite are pretty removed. Do they care about trespass and the right to go wherever you like yeah very much it's uh it, it's it's um surprised me that as well because i think i'd bought into that lie like number one i think you're talking about sort of metropolitan interfering city types rather than middle class posh white men uh though all three of us probably fit into that i mean take uh, your pick <laughs> <laughs> but you know i was i i was 15 years in uh, shoreditch pretty much i was on columbia road just by the hackney road um uh and uh, yeah people would say uh, you're this uh, interfering metropolitan city type and i always felt a bit cowed by that in a sense uh because you know like a uh, nature red in tooth and claw and you've never birthed a lamb and these last two years, uh, as a matter of fact, I have birthed a lamb and butchered a, a, a ram. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting a bit more stuck in back to where I was uh, brought up. I mean, back in um, pretty much the exact within a mile of my home, uh, but on the boat this time. Uh, but this sense that, uh, that basically it came from the fox hunting ban, the, the NFU and the CLA, they, CLA they, they brought together this massive march of people saying, you city types, keep your nose out of the country. As if people that are raised in the city don't care uh, that 90% of nightingales, or, you know, nightingales have declined 90% in the last 50 years. Why, why, just because you live in a flat in Shoreditch, why is that not a problem for you as well? Mm. Why is that, why do country people, and I'm born and bred country and I live there now, so you know, maybe I've been contaminated with the the liberal, <laughs> socially progressive uh, ideology of London. But um, why? Who, who said there was this line between country and uh, a, a town? <laughs> Are you a local? Uh, no. But actually, what what we found, we did um, the very first thing we did on the Right to Rome campaign was uh, launch a petition against the criminalisation of trespass, uh, and we got one hundred and thirty four thousand signatures uh which was basically meant that 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 means we could uh get it debated in parliament but if you flicked the tab uh on that petition page you could see a map 
of the density of where the most, you know, the the, the places where uh, people mm. had signed the most kind of thing. And actually, it, it kind of surprised us where people had mostly signed was places that were already in the countryside or very well connected. Yeah. People that have a living connection to nature realize how important it is. People that have only known uh, concrete streets um, uh, have, have not have not been able to taste uh, what they're missing out on. So of course they don't care so much about it. So really, our supporters come uh, from the countryside uh, as much as the you know the sort of ideologues uh, in the city. Everybody kind of takes it for granted today that you can go out onto the moors and stuff, but that really wasn't the case. So it's down to, you know, a group of workers from Manchester and Sheffield who obviously felt a real deep need to be out in nature. They took the risk of trespassing and meeting up, and through that, through that kind of act of protest, that led to now we all have the right to roam, and, and the Peak District became the first national park in the UK. Which makes me think a bit about the anniversary that's coming up uh, this week, as you as you listen, or next week, early next week, twenty fourth, which is the ninetieth anniversary of the trespass on a thing I can't say properly, which is Kinder Scout. Oh, I said it well jolly good. Well done. Not Cinder Count, which is what I said when I was saying it before. Um, which was a thing I didn't. I, I now know about it, and I knew I've known about it for a while, but I didn't know about this thing. But without a bunch of people in a city, right, um, all kind of getting together and going, no, we're going up that hill, that hill there, that's ours, and doing a trespass, we wouldn't have a lot of the bits of access that we have got, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it is a good story. It was like 1932. Uh, uh, the um, Duke of Devonshire owned approximately like, uh, of, of just this area, obviously all these dukes have got land all over the all over England. Um, but of just this particular area, he owned, uh, I think, like 32 miles, square miles worth of it. Um, of the peaks uh, near uh, Edale and Hay Hayfield. And um, uh, there was only a couple of, uh, there was about two miles worth of uh, public footpath in all of this area. And uh, because of various, uh, like the YMCA had just started up, there were loads of rambling clubs, largely fueled by kind of socialist, socialism, but socialist ideology. Uh, there were loads of clubs set up because basically, it was the 1930s, uh, and 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 the shift had happened from the 1800s. Uh, you know, the industrialization of the countryside, the enclosure of the countryside, had forced loads of the peasant farmers uh, into the city, and now they were just like uh, battery hens um, in in these huge uh, um, uh, sort of in, in industrial warehouses and factories producing stuff, and so this trend of also the technology of the bicycle uh really helped as well yeah. the bicycle became something that you didn't have to be you know uh it, it was no longer a penny farthing for a man and a twirly mustache and a top hat you could own a bicycle so all of these things meant that people were actually starting to uh leave at the weekends manchester leeds bolton sheffield um take the train uh be able to stay in the youth hostel and suddenly wanted to go for a walk on these moors, but it was policed by literally mm. private militia security guards. It was only oh, well. it was only about fifty years since the police had been invented, kind of thing, or it, it, certainly up in in that area. 
Um, and so gamekeepers were uh, still established uh, thugs of the countryside. Um, and so 400 people, this before like Telegram and, uh, you know, WhatsApp and all of that kind of thing, 400 people met up. There was a load of undercover police officers because they'd read the pamphlets and they all went up and they only really strayed about 400 yards off the path before they were met by gamekeepers with cudgels and uh, who, who basically proceeded to to beat the uh, the kids. They were like between the ages of like 14 and 25. These were just kids. Wow. Um, but what we tend to forget this, I mean, this is the danger. The kinder trespass uh, has sort of lodged in our sort of uh, national psyche. Um, but what we forget is that, uh, you know, Benny Rothman, uh, not only was he a kid, but he was also the, uh, the child of uh, uh, Romanian Jewish immigrants. Uh, so you're right, it was city people that led mm. the most successful uh, direct action for land uh, in recent history. But it was also the, uh, the son of uh, Romanian Jews. And the judge at the trial uh, certainly didn't forget that he was Jewish. And uh, the um, anti-Semitism uh, within the trial and in the newspapers uh, was uh, basically quite shocking to modern eyes. Um, and it's an aspect, whilst we're sort of, wor you know, worshipping uh, the very minor ground that the kinder trespass uh, gained, uh, it it's worth remembering that these people were put on trial by people... Uh, by, by an old order that hated their heritage as much as their act. Uh, and it's a situation we you know, still find ourselves in today with people of colour. I was hoping for an indication I was seeking higher elevation The long, longer-term consequence of that trespass was we national parks were created by a government, right? The first national mm -hmm. park was created. Um, but we have an old order very much sort of still in charge around here. And what about what Boris Johnson and the current government thinks about this sort of thing? I mean, are we are we close to persuading them that they should tear down the fences and let everyone, the proles, ramble over the fields? Or is there a way to go, do you think? And, and is there what arguments are the best ones to change that, if any? I, I don't think we're really looking to... Um politics on this one. I think the people we need to persuade are the middle ground of England. Uh, we need to, I, I think one of the worst things that could happen to us at the moment is an endorsement from Labour. Uh, we've had hmm. uh, we've had a um, an endorsement from Natalie Bennett and uh, Caroline Lucas, and they've actually put forward a bill uh, for the 24th. Um, the Greens are great, like I believe in them ethically, but also that uh, they, they speak a they speak to a sensibility of the Conservatives as well uh, that would, you know, it, James O'Brien again calls it footballification, that sense that if you're wearing a blue shirt, they, there ain't no way you're ever going to wear a red shirt kind of thing. Um, so the history of land rights has always been, and even in the kinder trespass, has always been about class and always been about um, partisanship, you know, uh, uh, and the only way we're going to win this is by appealing to Middle England. Uh, you know, we're not trying to cut Jacob Rees-Mogg's head off. Uh, we're and, not. And, 
Just, uh, just uh, me and Guy the, actually, aren't. Fine. <laughs> you might yeah. be. But, uh, well, we are, we're, that manifesto is out for consultation at the moment. We, yes. the, Babylon Army is, the Babylon Army is voting on that, so let's not prejudge the outcome. Well, keep me posted because you know <laughs> I'd be interested. Um, like we're not looking uh, to overturn uh, the state. Uh, I don't think uh, we're even looking to um, overturn capitalism. Not certainly via the front door. Uh, what we're looking to do is to uh, allow people an autonomous relationship with nature. Uh, and, and it's never been more urgent, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't happen now. Like people need to connect to nature in order to care about it. And the Duke of Buclu, uh has put up a wall that stands in its way and says, you'll be hurting me if, uh, if you reconnect with those woodlands. You'll be hurting me. And the Duke of Wellington, you'll be hurting him if you kayak down uh, his river. Um, like they're making it up. Uh, they're lying. We've already looked at, um, you know, the, the unreformed parliament, the, the source of this unjust law. Um, so we're ignoring them and we're, we're talking to, uh, the people and we're saying, you know, here are the mental health benefits of cold water swimming. Uh, why are you only allowed in 3% of England's rivers? Why do you have to cross England's rivers, England's woodlands, England's meadows, England's greenbelt, so that you can all cluster together on Bournemouth Beach. Like you've just <laughs> walked past bluebell woods of just breathtaking splendor. Like I, I, I can't remember the figure, but we've basically got most of the bluebell woods uh, in the world and something like uh, uh, three quarters of the chalk streams in the world. Oh like, yeah, these yeah, are natural more... wonders. Vote for St Albans. That's one of them around my backyard. Bloody nice. Is that the Mimram? It's the Ver. It's the River oh, the Ver. Ver. Oh, it's off, off of Verulamium fame. Um, cool. They? Yeah, no, it's very nice. What the bloody hell are you talking about? Third person plural, a present indicative. Uh, there you go. But Romans go home is an order, so you must use the yeah, imperative, which is um, oh, oh. <laughs> ask Nick a question. Work out. I'm going to ask Nick a question, and it might be my last question, but it is relevant to this idea that we're not talking to politicians; we're talking to people. And are you, when you're talking to people, and you know, obviously a very broad term, are you saying to those people? Yes, you should definitely trespass because your book is called the Trespassers Companion. Uh, it's, it, it implies it's a support for trespass. It's a handbook of sorts. It's uh, you know there's a lot of very useful, very factual, very insightful information. Um, but I don't remember reading any bit of it that said definitely you should trespass. But then why would you be reading a Trespassers Companion if you weren't sort of thinking? I'm going to trespass. So what should we be doing? Should the Babel Army, the entire legions of people listening to this podcast, should they immediately go and trespass? None of whom are oiks. <laughs> We're all oiks to them. Um, uh, like there are, there are, like the purpose of the book is to lead you to the website. And the website is a place where you can publish uh, photographs and context of your trespass. Like, there's a chapter in the book telling you how to, you know, do a guy shrub soul and research the history and who owns the land and, you know, when it was enclosed. Uh, there's then part of the book that shows you how uh, that people respond better to the narratives. So, like, take photos on your trespass and then try and explain to people the context. Uh, speak to older people, speak to, you know, try and find out what it was like 
uh, when you could pick watercress uh, from that chalk stream rather than it's now a car park kind of thing. Um, and then publish it on our website because the whole thesis uh, of, of the book and crucially the website, trespasserscompanion.org, uh, is that if you, uh, if the pair of you, Dave and Ollie, go for a trespass together, you're going to have a bloody nice time. You're going to have a really nice walk. Uh, we're not talking about megaphones and drums and banners kind of thing. You don't need to do that. Just bring your iPhone or your, you know, uh, bring a camera. Take pictures of it. When you publish it on our website, you've turned it into a direct action. You've turned it into something that will change the the wider system. You know, you you guys go and uh, jump in the ver uh, in uh, autumn, and you're going to get a cold shock, and your body's going to tingle from it for the rest of the day. That's going to improve your mental health, but it's not going to create a, a new system to improve the mental health of uh, working class people of color that are so you know that are, the statistics say. Uh, that are, you know, a, a third is more less likely to be connected to nature or near places within an easy walking distance. It's not going to have improved those lives. But if you actually publish it on the trespasserscompanion.org, then we're going to amass all that data uh, and we're going to prove to people how, A, gentle and respectful we are to the countryside and, B, all of the myriad ways that we can improve it through uh, through our presence there, you know, citizen science, water pollution monitoring. Uh, like, I know I've been blathering on, but like, we don't know how the, the full extent or, or, or anywhere near the full extent of our invasive species. We don't know where the Himalayan balsam is. We don't know where the mm. knotweed is or, the, or, or how... Um, prevalent uh you know the american signal crayfishes uh because you're not allowed the ea can't do it all and you're not allowed to do it so you've just got these unchecked invisible areas of science uh that w we just don't have a knowledge we should be encouraging people uh to to run that data uh themselves and in the absence of the law encouraging us to do it right to roam.org.uk are encouraging people to do it Go out and protect your landscape and de facto take your right of access with you. There you are, Ol. How are you going to hunt down and destroy all of the grey squirrels if you can't even get access to where the grey squirrels are, Ol? Exactly. <laughs> and that, as you know, is my, is my number one mission in life. Nick, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on here. Um, and also, a thing we have not really said is how lovely your illustrations are if you go oh. to right right to roam.org.uk <laughs> that's the address isn't it or is it right to roam.org right to roam.org.uk yeah yeah go there and the, the the amazing site that you will see is done off of nick's hands and it is beautiful so i want to thank you for that thank you for inspiring us i am we, we as we record we have a long weekend coming up i thought you were going to say I, I am as we record trespassing which was, um, was really well, I've no bloody idea. I probably am, but I am, as I record, about to go into a long weekend. And me and Mrs. Dave, we're going to hop over a fence. We're going to bloody do it. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a picture on your uh, website thing. And then if a man comes up to me, I shall tell him it's all your fault and you live on a boat. So we should come and get you. Well, th that's very kind of you. <laughs> I'm slightly worried about that. I'm getting an anchor so they can't cut my lines. 
no, to both of you, thanks so much for having us on. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I really like your podcast and uh, it's a real pleasure. So thank you. that is just about it for another episode of Babble. Thank you, Dave, Ooh. for coming back from finding yourself now that you're found. Yes, you're found returned. Yep, and I was here all along. You were here all along. Well, <laughs> yes. splendid news. And we yes. will continue being here for at least another 245 episodes. Thank you very much, Nick, for being excellent writing and indeed illustrating these magnificent books and making us think, oh, mm. I'm enjoying mm. Nick's book. I am enjoying Nick's book. It is making me reappraise myself uh, if you if you if you like oh oh if important if you like that chat with nick and you like this stuff go back and listen to episode 168 called who owns england which is a chat with friend of the babble referenced in that interview guy shrubsole all about land rights land access uh and that sort of stuff do that it's that's a really great chat too more where that come from very good. Now, if you would like to send us any feedback, tell us what we should be doing, tell us some new episode ideas, for instance, you can do so in a number of ways. You can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish. You can tweet us at the Babble Wagon, or you can just search Facebook for Sustainababble. And thank you so much to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts, ends and intertwinkles this podcast, to the mahusively magnificent Arthur Stovall for the local what adorns it and us and our t-shirts. What, if you want the t-shirt, you can go to www.sustainababble.fish. Okay, uh, I think we're done. Give us your money. Uh, I know there's, you know, stuff on and everything, so it's okay if you don't want to give us your money, but if you can give us any money and you want to, please do by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Sustainable. Uh, and it helps us keep going and uh, enjoying what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you to all the people who do. Uh, if you can't, don't worry about it. But, you know, just do. <laughs> thank you. I'll, I shall be back next week. Until then, old bean, I do not want you to pass a keep out sign without flicking a metaphorical V at it, or indeed an actual one. Will you promise me you'll do that? Will you jump yeah. in the ver and... Oh, I tell you what, it's fascinating, because where I live, in that there St Albans, there is an awful lot of very beautiful, rather kind of biodiverse and nature-rich, green, pleasant land owned you mean, by... You mean gardens? No, well, yeah, there's some, <laughs> but no. Well, there's some bloody big gardens, and there's some there's some shit lawns in those gardens. I have seen AstroTurf oh, no, in big me. gardens. It annoys me. No, but in addition to the very big gardens, there are also some huge amounts of land owned by some Aristotle. I can't remember who it is now, but, like, I tried to take babies all one and two uh, through some land uh, down to a very beautiful place, and I was told, no, no, you can't go on here because it's shooting season and we're shooting pheasants and stuff. So I am interested in uh, talking more to people in this ear, neck of the woods, who want to do something about that. Yes, don't actually get shot in the name of... I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get shot, but, you know, I also don't want land to only exist for the benefit of millions of pheasants being reared so that they can be shot by a small number of people. We will be back next week with more of this communist nonsense. Have a great week, (laughs) all. See you then. Bye. Bye.